I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. First off, I want to thank my new patrons, Meredith and Sari. My Patreon campaign is a really simple way for listeners to support the show financially on a monthly basis. Uh, So if you've been enjoying the show and you also have a couple bucks to spare, then I'd be so, so grateful if you'd sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash noendinsight. And also, I totally understand that financial support is not feasible for a lot of people, or maybe you just don't want to, which is also fine. Um, But if you've been really enjoying the show, then I'd also be really grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts to let other people know what to expect. Reading reviews from listeners really seriously warms my heart, and of course, potential listeners read them too. This week, I'm talking to Suzanne Lana about chronic migraine. Suzanne shares their story, and we also talk about the usual topics like navigating healthcare, trying to work, and the ways that chronic illness can reshape your identity. There are a couple moments in this episode where Google Hangouts was causing havoc with lag and other connection issues. Um, I've cut those out for the most part, but I'm sure you'll notice the residue. So technology, uh, what can I say? As a quick content note, Suzanne does briefly mention suicidal ideation in passing while talking about a friend of theirs, but the focus of the conversation is about fighting the instinct to reassure people that things will get better with physical or mental health when that's just not always the case. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Uh, to get started, I like to just ask people, how was your health as a kid? So as a kid, I was actually super healthy. We, I was born in the 90s so and lived in the South, like deep, deep South, like Southern Texas South. So I played outside all the time. I was that stick and bones child that ate way too much candy, but ran around outside like a psychopath. Yeah. So I was super healthy as a kid, never had any big major issues. No asthma, no chronic illness, no even allergies. I had one allergy that I still have to say that's penicillin and that's it. I don't even have seasonal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as a, it's been weird being diagnosed now because as a kid, I've, I've always been healthy. Yeah, you're like robust. Yeah, and my parents were always super, super on top, on top of that kind of stuff because we were born in Massachusetts where I'm living again now, but they moved us to literally the swamp of the South. Mm-hmm. So they were very careful because it's very hot, it's very humid. They knew we were just gonna run around like crazy kids. So they were very careful to no soda, no anything sugar. Like we had cookies and candy in the house because my grandmother sent the stuff because she was still up north, so she tried to do the, I'm going to spoil my grandkids by sending you tons of dunkers and things you should not eat. Yeah. But my parents were very much, we ate healthy and we took care of ourselves. So I grew up in a household of long bike rides, lots of swimming, lots of outdoor time, mm-hmm. not a lot of TV, didn't have PlayStation, didn't have video games, just pre-smartphone, pre-internet, really. Yeah. So yeah, very healthy kid. Yeah. Not like, a couch potato by any means. Doing everything like right. I just put that in air quotes because, of yeah, course, this my, advice is complicated. But what? yeah, my parents were all about the healthy but cheap snacks. Like, yeah, we didn't have a lot of money for a lot of junk food too. Junk food expensive, right? So instead of like ice cream and popsicles, we would make our own. They would like throw grapes in the freezer, like anything to get like kids interested in stuff. We'd make our own smoothies, mm-hmm. just like throw fruit and ice 
and some milk and some juice in a blender and just like they got us very much into us because we were very much we were we were lucky kids you know we grew up in the generation of we were home alone by like eight and nine which is very much not legal yeah <laughs> not supposed to keep your kid alone till they're 12 as it but turns it was out the 90s. yeah and no one really cared it was like well just don't burn the house down yeah we're basically fine yeah use the microwave yeah we did we used the oven <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we grew, we grew up in very much, uh, this is how you eat, and this is how you take care of yourself, and don't eat those things, and eat these things, and yeah. Yeah. We were, we grew up pretty not, like, we didn't grow up with a whole lot. We were very much lower middle class, but we didn't, you know, we grew up in a household of good food and taking care of yourself, and mm-hmm. good, healthy kids. Yeah. Good, healthy parenting, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And so was there a moment for you when things started to change or did it happen more gradually? It happened really sharply. I, I've had, so I've had chronic migraines and I've had chronic migraines since my teen years, but they were very, very um, sporadic and they didn't happen often. Mm-hmm. I remember getting my first one at 12 and my mom came and found me in my bedroom with no lights on. She thought I was asleep because I just, I know what to do, but everything hurt and the lights hurt. My mom's first thought was, oh my God, did you go hiking and like run into an animal? She thought I had rabies because this was, we were back living in Massachusetts again, living in Western Mass in Barrie. There is nothing. And like, we went out hiking on our own all the time. So there's nothing around us. And she was just like, please tell me you didn't like run into a raccoon. I was like, no, oh, no, I've been home all day. She was like, oh, it's probably a migraine. And me, 12 years old, I'm like, I don't know yeah. what a migraine is. Right. So they've had them ever since, but they've usually been like, for the longest time, they're like twice a year at most. Mm-hmm. And they hurt and they suck. And I take to Excedrin and lie down and try not to puke. And that's about it. Yeah. And then once I hit 27, they started getting a lot worse very quickly. Okay. So there was a very sudden, I was fine, I was fine, I was fine, and I was I was in pain a lot, but it just been, yeah, I get migraines, and by my early 20s, I was getting them once a month, and it seemed to happen every time with my period, and I'm like, all right, this is hormonal, and it sucks, but like, there's no cure for my period, so I'm like, well, and with migraines, with chronic pain, so I was like, well, it's not killing me, so it's probably fine, it's not a big deal. Right. Whatever. But then by 27, I was working retail and they were happening once a week. And then it became once every three days. And then I started collapsing at work. And the, it hit me that something was very, very wrong when I almost, I fell off a ladder. And one of my crewmates luckily saw me and like put a hand behind my back so I didn't actually fall because I'm in the back room at Target and I could have cracked my head open. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just concrete back there. There's nothing. Right. So he got me down and I sat for like 20 minutes and then I just took a 15, went back on the floor and then everything started moving and I never had that happen before. And I never had hallucinations. And that was the point where I said, something is very, very wrong here. And I don't know what's going on with my brain. And I started, that was the first point I was afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Cause pain is pain and it sucks, but it's, it never been more than just, it hurts. Right. And when you're in pain for that long, like migraines become such a rigmarole. Like I've broken my toes like over 30 times. And it's just been, you get to a point where it all just becomes whatever to you. Like the the pain just becomes, it hurts and it sucks, but I'm not dying. Like I've got 
my brother's had Crohn's disease since he was 16. He actually almost died. So when I look at it, when I compare me, I'm like, this is just pain. I'm not, my body's not actually trying to kill me. So I'm, it's nothing. It's whatever. And I'll deal. But it wasn't nothing. So I ended up having to quit Target and started going to the doctors full time uh, this year, top of March. So I quit Target. Migraines are getting the scary stuff happened in 2017. I quit Target summer of 2018. Okay. Started working an article writing job from home. Thought that if I quit Target, I would just get better. Because so many of it got worse when I started working retail. So I thought if I got myself out of that environment, a lot of the triggers would go away. Mm -hmm. And it was good for about two months and then it wasn't. And what did good look like for you? Good looks like one migraine a week, Mm -hmm. which to me sounds like a vacation. And to most people is still just like, I would say this to people and they would just go, how is that's not okay. But to me, it's nothing to me. I'm like, oh, one migraine a week. That's great. That's six days. Six whole days. I can do things. Yeah. Yeah. And something that even just stands out to me from what you were saying about like just pain is that one of, when you get new symptoms, one of the things that makes it so much more difficult is the fear is like, yeah. what does this mean? What's happening? And is it getting worse? Because it's not yeah. just like, oh, can I live with this level of discomfort or this level of pain where, mm-hmm. you know, usually the answer is yes, but I'd rather not. But like, yeah. it's, is it getting worse? And there's this gnawing worry that accompanies all of those feelings. And I feel like that is a huge part of the the pain of it is the emotional distress. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And that- it was always, the pain was always, it hurt, and but I could work through it because so much of my target work was just lunking, as I call it, um, resetting shelves, moving product around, things that require a lot of brain power. Mm-hmm. I was like, this hurts and it sucks, but I can still do basic tasks. Yeah. But then I couldn't do basic tasks. And then after like about a month or two of my brain going, oh, I can work from home now, this is fine. It started getting worse again. So by the fall of, so like I had like two months of good in the summer because I quit in June. So like beginning of summer. So the summer was okay. I thought I was getting better. And then by fall, I land, I just took a hard landslide. Mm-hmm. I was getting three migraines a week, which I never had before. The pain was worse. Because whereas before the pain was bad in the point that I couldn't do my article writing gig, I can edit, I can do my normal jobs, but I could do housework. I could do basic things. I could do some dishes, mm-hmm. tidy up. I could at least do something. Like less cognitive tasks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It got so bad, I was just on the couch. Mm-hmm. And then the nausea came, and then I was throwing up, and then the memory loss started getting really bad. And the memory loss is the thing that terrifies me the most because I'm a writer and I'm an editor. So it's like, if I can't remember what I'm doing, how am I supposed to do anything that I'm trying to do? Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to keep plot lines straight? How am I supposed to keep my editorial letters straight? How am I supposed to do any of my work? And that's where it started getting really, really scary. Because mm-hmm. I can deal with pain, but I can't deal with the, the the fear that I could wake up one day and my brain is just, like, what if I woke up one day and I don't remember anything? Yeah. I woke up and I just, like, because there were days this year where I'd wake up and I'd look at my notes from the previous week, like my day planner right in front of me. And it was like being my own detective. Mm-hmm. Like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? Just... Yeah. It's that was really scary. And, so, And were you having problems with both like short memory formation, short-term memory formation, and also long-term memory? Or was it... Just the short-term? Yeah. It was like my short-term memory for the... My short-term memory always when I'm on a migraine attack is non-existent. Mm-hmm. 
I would always joke that you can't talk to Migraine Sue. Mm-hmm. You can't make plans with Migraine Sue. Because mm-hmm. Migraine Sue will agree to something and then non-Migraine Sue will have no memory of any of this. Yeah. Migraine Sue will leave a giant tub of yogurt out on the counter to go bad and the next day I'll wake up and go, Migraine Sue! Yeah. Like well, hurting a cat. <laughs> so that's so once it started getting bad that fall. I had to leave the article writing job because I couldn't even keep up with that because my pain got so bad and the short-term memory so bad I couldn't pay attention and my work was not as well. Mm-hmm. And my boss knew something was wrong because he's like, your quality of work isn't that good. He's like, I know you're smart. He's like, I right. know you're capable. So what's going on here? And I said, I'm sick. Yeah. And I don't know what's wrong. So yeah. I quit that and then reapplied my mass health, which previously I just had a basic connector plan because of my income at Target. But now, because I was practically income-free, I'm on Care Plus. Mm-hmm. So now, Mass Health pays for everything. Mm-hmm. So with that, I started going to the doctors full-time and just saying, hey, something is severely wrong with me. Please help. Yeah. So that was the real, real turning point for me, was finally going to the doctor and admitting something was severely, severely wrong. And how did because that I, go? It went... It was a trial. I like my system that I'm in now. The initial appointments were not great. Mm-hmm. They were not as bad as they could have been. I know a lot of migraine sufferers who've dealt with a lot worse than me. And I've brought them up before when I was younger in life, when they were only once a month. Right. When I was in my tw- when I was like 25. I'd been diagnosed previously for a skin condition. I brought up then, hey, I'm getting a migraine once a month and they're really, really bad. What can I do? And my doctor then was just like, you should just stress less. Classic. Classic advice. So I came prepared to this one because I keep careful log of all my migraines. I've been logging all the symptoms, the dizziness, the vertigo, the nausea, trying to track my triggers, keep track of everything. So I keep them all in my day planner because it's all color coded. So I've color just for my migraines. So I came in literally ready to throw the book at them. So no one could tell me, oh, it's just stress or, oh, it's just don't drink less coffee. I was like, no, 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 no. It's not any of these things. Right. And it was a little bit of an uphill battle because my PCP, so I got new insurance and they got me with a new PCP. The PCP, even though they were accepting new patients, was booked six months in advance. Hmm. And I said, no, that's not going to work. So they brought me with a nurse practitioner who I still see today. I am comfortable with the fact I will never see my PCP and I don't <laughs> care. Because yeah. all I needed the PCP for is to get to my neurologist. I'm like, I don't need you. Right. You're useless to me. Yeah, it's basically just like, can you please tell insurance that I need to see this other doctor? Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I treated it as a hall pass. I'm like, I need you to take my problem seriously and direct me to someone who actually knows what they're doing. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And my PCP, my neuro, my uh, nurse practitioner was nice enough, but she didn't understand nearly enough about the treatments or how things worked, which worried me a bit, but I was able to kind of strong arm her just because I'm used to doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm both because I know other people who suffer from chronic migraines, so I know how the medications work. Right. But I know a lot of people who don't, and that always worries me. Like, it sucks that, and it's specifically a U.S. problem because of how our medical system works, that we just shove people into the system, and everyone's expected to just, you can trust your doctors, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. You have to speak up for yourself, and you have to understand what the meds are giving you are and what's going on. So she wanted to give me a triptan. Which is a basic abortive. Um, what they do is they're supposed to you take them at the start of a migraine and they're supposed to stop the migraine. So she gave me a, a prescription for serotriptan, nine a month. You can only take nine the entire month, 
which is not good because I, at the time, was getting about 20 migraines a month. Right. And you can only take three a week. Okay. And she told me that this triptan, which is an abortive, not a preventative, Mm -hmm. would magically reprogram my brain. Some kind of miracle. And then told me that I didn't need to see a neurologist. Oh, cool. That's fortunate. Right? I was like, oh, man, this one drug is going to fix me just like that? Oh, oh, a miracle on 34th Street. Wow. No. I said, I just, I pushed and I said, no, I really want to go see a neurologist. It's been going on for a really long time. I don't think this is going to work. Mm-hmm. And I pushed and I pushed. And she said, okay, well, I'll, I'll let you go see her. And because I'm in, um, I have, my mass health is accepted by Reliant which is awesome because Reliant in Massachusetts, everything is in-house. So it wasn't like it was an issue to send me a neurologist because they have their own neurologist in my facility in Westboro. Mm -hmm. So it was literally just a matter of talking to the person next door and saying, hey, we're going to send Suzanne to go see Michelle. And they got me in within a week. Okay, that's fast. Yes, Reliant is very, very quick, which is why I like them. I, if nothing else from my medical experience, like, could not recommend Reliant enough to anyone living in this state. Like if you need healthcare, get in Reliant. They're fast. Everything is in-house. There's no loss of information. Everything stays in the system. Mm -hmm. So there's no, like you can go to different specialists and they have all your stuff. There's no, oh, I don't have your chart. I don't have that. There. There's no excuse. It's all digital. Yeah. So it's, if nothing else, doctors, not always so great. Reliant, very, very good. You're pleased. So I went to my neurologist and I told her what they told me. And she said, no, that's not how serotriptan works. And when I told her that they tried to diagnose me as possibly having too much testosterone as a possible migraine culprit, she's like, because she was looking at all the tests they'd ordered because I'd done all this blood work. And she was like, why are they asking for a testosterone test? She's like, you don't look like someone who has too much testosterone because I put on weight, but it's all of my curves. Mm-hmm. Someone who puts on, if you have too much testosterone, it does cause weight gain, which I have but you don't put it on in your chest and your thighs, which mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. My body is just putting on weight because it wants to. Because mm-hmm. I'm sick and I can't be active anymore. Right. All of the things. Yes, all of the things. All at once. So my neurologist said, no, even if you do have too much testosterone, first of all, that's not how it works. Second, it doesn't affect the brain that way. She's mm-hmm. like, no, testosterone can't cause migraines. Okay. I was like, ah, yes, you, the neurologist, know what you are doing. Yeah. You're a better person to see than a general nurse practitioner who, not as a slight on nurse practitioners across yeah, the board. Yeah, they're good at their stuff. She's but, great at general stuff, yeah. like diagnosing colds and probably sprains and like general body stuff, but yeah. not this stuff, which is right. fair because migraines are weird and no one still understands right. how they work. Right. So totally. my neurologist was awesome and ordered a whole body of tests just to check on everything. And the good and the bad was everything came back normal. Yeah. Which is both awesome that I'm healthy as a horse and terrible because I'm healthy as a horse. So right. we have no nowhere to go. Yeah, that's not meaningful in this instance. And were yeah. the triptans helping, even if it was not enough to meet your actual pain management needs? The serotriptan was not. There's a different there's a couple different kinds of triptan. The okay. serotriptan was bad for me. Mm-hmm. The the uh, side effects were real, real bad. It increased my dizziness, which I already have for migraines. Yeah. And then didn't treat the migraine. So I tried them twice, told my doctor this isn't going to work. And now I'm on a, a different one called Narotriptan, okay. which does work most of the time. It does make me nauseous. So now I, immediately now I have to take Odansetron afterwards, the anti-nausea med. Okay. 
So they work. The downside is you can only take them three times a week mm-hmm. and then nine times a month. Okay, same deal. Which is a problem if you get more than nine migraines, which I do. Right. And they're also bad for your heart. And I have a history of heart disease. Mm. A really bad history of heart disease. As in, yeah. my grandmother just had double bypass. My mom is doing stress testing now and she's only 50 and is also extremely healthy. Mm-hmm. So you can just, like, that just weighs, I would Yeah, imagine. there's like a little clock ticking in the back yeah. of my head. Like, yes, these drugs work, but for how long until they cause damage? Yeah, and everyone's just going oh, you're fine. You're healthy. You're, you're still in your twenties. You're, you're only turning 30 next year. Like you'll be fine. It's like, yeah, my mom's incredibly healthy. She only just turned 50 and she's having heart problems mm-hmm. also because of a med that she was on from her early teens. But right. Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I don't want to be on this med any longer than I have to be. Sure. And I think like, this is one of the things that also comes up a lot now that I didn't I didn't anticipate would be as widespread um, as it is, mm-hmm. which is like the way that medical side effects or sorry, medication kind of side effects or risks, I guess, are so underplayed so much of the time. Like, oh, they are. And yeah. no one tells you about interactions. So right. I've also been put on once that didn't work. They finally put me on a preventative called nortriptyline, which I was on for almost a year, started midway through March after the serotriptan failed. They put me on the naratriptan and nortriptyline with a steadily increasing dose. So I started at 10, we had 25 for a couple months and then 50 for the month of October, which was the hell month. And I didn't know that you can't take nortriptyline and antihistamine. Oh. And if you take those things, you get rapid heart rate, which happened to me at 2 a.m. Yeah, and like antihistamines, an incredibly common over-the-counter medication that a lot of people take, right? I took it because I had a cold and it was the middle of the night and I just wanted to sleep and I kept coughing and sneezing. I was like, I'll just take this cold and flu med that I've taken forever. It's the same box I had in my cupboard last year. It's not expired. I was like, Mm -hmm. all right, take one of these. I'll go to sleep. It'll be fine. Nope, rapid heart rate for three hours. I only knew because my roommate works at Quest and one of her best buddies from work goes to medical school, is in nursing. And today, because of our magic, our awesome technology, you can have textbooks in your phone. Mm-hmm. So I just texted her at 2 a.m. because they're at night, they're working at night when, hey, if you take this and this, does this happen? And she just sent me the screenshot from her phone. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. I was like, what do I do? How do I make this stop? She's like, you'll be fine. Just breathe. And I was like, cool, cool. The anxiety of my ADHD doesn't believe that, but okay. Yeah. I'll just use all of my like self-calming techniques that are so effective in general especially when you're combating yeah. rapid heart rate like yeah to calm that organ that doesn't listen to anything ever yeah. it just does what it wants in there yeah <sighs> okay so so that medication which right didn't know yeah. about this interaction and then Ugh. they also don't tell you how the inner the um the side effects change when the doses gets increased mm. so when 10 milligrams I was okay. It was controlling some some things, but not all. On 25, I started having trouble sleeping. And I already have trouble sleeping because of my ADHD. I've never been the type of person to get to sleep before 2 a.m. I thought that was normal for years and years and years. Because like a lot of people with ADHD, I was fine in school as a kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't fail any classes. I was, I, I've been undiagnosed most of my life. So I just thought, oh, everyone's brain works this way. This is fine. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so i got to a point where the restlessness for at the 25 milligram rate during end of summer beginning of fall i wasn't sleeping till like 3 4 a.m which is really bad 
Yeah. And then by October, I wasn't sleeping till 5.30 in the morning. Ugh, that's so late. And it was increasing. So I like went online and like did some digging. Like what are the real full side effects of nortriptyline? And it was like increased. I started checking off so many boxes. I'm, like this is so bad. It's like increased irritability, restlessness, trouble sleeping, which is really bad. And no one would think to look for because the medication specifically on the bottle, when you take it, says take it nighttime, causes drowsiness. That's very confusing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they're like, and I asked my friend about that. My friend is going in nursing school and she's like, yeah, no, a lot of medications are like that. They, they work one way or the other, depending on how your brain works. And she's like, and because you have ADHD, I guarantee you there's something in your brain that just processes this med- this chemical differently. And I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I guess that's kind of like the thing with stimulants. Like that's what they say about Adderall and Ritalin, that like, if you have ADHD and have been prescribed it, it helps you focus. And if not, like it's a stimulant and it can just... Mm-hmm make you have a lot of trouble because you're and so I'm guessing, stimulated. And I'm guessing that's how nortriptyline works because it mm-hmm. is a type of antidepressant, which is one of the first things I always look for to try and treat migraines. Mm-hmm. So now I'm on to pyramate, which is completely different. Now I'm on an anti-seizure med. Okay. And so one of the things, like I'm not a migraine person, although I am reading a book about chronic daily headache right now, a memoir um, called mm-hmm. All in My Head. And one of the mm-hmm. things that she talks about is exactly this is about how so few medications are actually tested for migraine. So it's Mm -hmm. mostly off-label prescribing and there's like not all the reasons, right? Like there's not a lot of funding. It's hard to get, there's so many different categories of migraine that are still like, we don't understand what's happening inside. So we can't really categorize them properly. Like there's all of these issues. And so it's all different and weird. Everyone has different aura symptoms. I was talking to a friend of mine, who her aura symptom is that she just completely loses sight in her left eye. Mm. And for years, she thought it was an optical issue. So she kept going to ophthalmologist after ophthalmologist after ophthalmologist, Mm -hmm. thinking that there was just something wrong with her vision. She was going to lose vision in her eyes and she was going blind. And then she finally went to a a certain neurologist in Boston. They're like, no, this is just your migraines. Yeah. It's just the aura. It's fine. Yeah. And for years, like they'd spent like a decade spending money after like putting, like then you think about the time and money they've invested going to so much optical care to figure this out and that's not cheap right because most insurance will not cover optical Mm. i can't even imagine the the money and like investment that must have been that's just and then i've got a friend a dear friend of mine in russia who i talk to all the time who her she has what she calls the classic disco ball which is she sees the rainbow lights which is what a lot of people think happens with migraines because that's what people will put in characters on television and media because it looks cool Mm -hmm. and then i get um what i um, optical hallucinations where patterns that are close-knit move so pinstripes plaids um when i work at target there's a backer paper it's a paper they put behind the product that's got overlapping circles and it moves it's real bad when you're on a ladder yeah real high putting up product and everything starts moving yeah it's not good so yeah and you have all these weird symptoms and no one knows so we could all be having different migraines we could all be having the same migraine mm-hmm. who knows and there's optical migraines like the ones that stab behind my eyes i and just because we all have chronic migraines does not mean we all get the same migraine all the time. Mm. I get ones like I tell, I talk to my doctor about how um, the ones that are in the center of my head cause more nausea and more dizziness. They're not, the pain is not as sharp or as intense physically in my head, but it makes me more, I, 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 I think of them as being more dangerous mm-hmm. because they're more dizzying. The vertigo is bad. Like I, it's the, do not let me handle sharp instruments. 
it's one of many reasons why I tell people, like, I don't drive. Because mm-hmm. I should not be allowed to drive. And when I hear people that have chronic migraines drive, I'm like, how and who lets you have a license? Yeah. Like, how does that Good work? Lord. Like, please, please know. Please know your limits. Please take care of yourself. Yeah. So, and then I have the ones that are really sharp on my right temple, which is where I, my standard migraines live. And the pain there will get really intense like an ice pick. And those are the ones that will often send me to the ER. Because the pain is just so overwhelming. And for the longest time, I didn't bother. And then again, my friend in Russia was like, You realize that pain can get so bad, you can have a seizure or stroke. Like, no, no, I didn't know that. She's like, Yeah, no, your brain has a limit. You're like, I liked when I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, because your brain, once it, once your pain reaches a limit, it can't take anymore. And it will just, Mm -hmm. like a computer overheating, it will just stop. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. Cool. That's, uh, that's good. No. In Russia, medical care is all paid for. You don't pay for anything. Everything is free. So anytime she's in pain, she just goes to the ER. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no waiting. There's also no wait time. She's never been in a room longer than 20 minutes. So oh my when God. I told her, I'm like, I, I hate going to the ER. Yeah. I don't want to. My triggers are blue light and smells and noise. And the last thing I want to do is be in fluorescent lighting and this that horrible antiseptic smell. Yeah. It's a terrible and, sensory environment. Like everything oh God, about it's hospitals. The, it's the worst. It is the physical worst. And I told her, I'm like, in America, it's like a two hour wait. And I'm like, at that point, I'd rather just be home. Yeah. Because eventually it'll stop. Yeah. Usually the severe ones for me, I never last more than a day. So I'm like, I can get through a day. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It sucks. And it'll, I'll want to chop my head off by the end of the day. But right. I'll get through it. <laughs> yeah. And that's like one of, one of the things about ERs. And apparently not in Russia, but I will say, like, I live in the States now. I also live in Western Mass, but I've lived in Canada for the majority of my life. Like, both I grew up there and I lived there as an adult for five years. So I know both medical systems Mm -hmm. pretty well. And it's like, this is an issue across the board. They're just not equipped for chronic pain. So people, like, you're going to be low on the list for triage. Of course, fairly. Like, it's not the same as an open wound or a heart attack, which also get misidentified all the time but like there are pieces of it that make sense but it's still it's a terrible sensory environment for whatever reason they're just usually dismissing people who are showing up with chronic pain even when it's like at an acute level like it's a messed up situation right now in terms of what do you do when your breakthrough pain gets so bad that it's broken through like I don't know and it's not about private or public medicine that was the point that i wanted to say i think a weird argument that some people in the states make for some reason because they think that the healthcare system is great right now i guess they're like oh well if we switch over to public health care then the wait times will go up and it's like no i think they'll be the same because it's awful thank you anyway um yeah no it's yeah <laughs> so- you yeah, know it's it's really bad. I wish um, I wish Reliant honestly just had ERs because when I go to Reliant, I never have trouble. Mm-hmm. I can just go in and I'm seen very quickly. The nurses are really attentive. They even dim the lights when I go in exam rooms. Like they're super kind and they understand my needs. Mm-hmm. And ER can't do that. You know, they've got to deal with giant inflow of people and yeah. ugh, it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so when you do go to the ER, though, uh, with a migraine, what are they able to do there? Or are they able to do anything? So when you go in the ER with a chronic migraine, the 
what they can do is they give you a fun cocktail of drugs that is a holy crap painkiller that I cannot pronounce if I try it. I can pull it up on my MyChart app. <laughs> which is one of the best parts about being in Reliant is you get to have the wonderful, beautiful MyChart app, which controls all of your healthcare. You can read new meds on it. It is the best. <laughs> Yeah, closed systems, I think, have have better portals for sure because it makes sense for them to develop them. It absolutely does. And it's funny because they don't have them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize how good our healthcare was up here until I went to visit my mother in Florida and I went to the hospital with her. And I, it was this big hospital in Florida and it was so bad. Oh, my God. It was like being back in the dark ages because with Reliant, everything is just digital. Mm-hmm. I go in and it's just I scan my phone. I can check in early and I just boop, 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 and I go in. I don't yeah. have to talk to people if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. They just send me on through and I see my doctor and I'm on my way. Mm-hmm. Let me see. It is sodium chloride, ketolorac, thromamine, and then the, what is the, what's the good one? They put in Odansetron for the nausea. Okay. They give you a little bit of sodium chloride, a little salt, the the ketolorac, what is it? Ketolorac tromamine, and then the da, 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 da. it's basically a bunch of. I'm not going to try to pronounce the the big D one, but it's basically the ketolorac is a holy crap painkiller that a lot of people will try to get off the street, and then it's basically painkillers fluids to get you back up because they know you've been puking all day Mm -hmm. and then the odansetron to help you stop puking okay so the problem with getting it though is a lot of vrs won't have it not and a lot of vrs even if they do have it will not give it to you okay so what i do is i go to urgent care specifically ready med because it's part of the reliant health system and by doing that i stay within the reliant closed system Mm-hmm. And that way, I can say, "Hey, I'm Michelle Martin's patient. I have chronic migraines. Please give me drugs." Yeah. Because like... otherwise, any person can walk off the street and say, "Hey, I have chronic migraines. Give me drugs." Mm-hmm. So the problem is, if you do have chronic migraines and you're not getting treatment, but you know someone says, "Hey, you're in a lot of pain. Go to the ER and they'll help you." They might not help you. Right. If you don't have a history of medical care. Right. And if they don't they might have think, access, yeah. Yeah, if you don't have access, they won't help you. And even if you do have access, if you don't have a previous history from your doctor, there's a very low chance they'll help you because they might think you're someone off the street trying to get a fix. Yeah, and this is like a huge problem in chronic pain care is the like stigmatizing around drug-seeking behavior and how like, I mean, I'm not qualified to comment on how common it might be for like people Mm -hmm. who have substance use disorder who also need care, by the way, but like how yeah. how like legitimate i'm putting that in air quotes too but how legitimate the, the request for pain relief is as if like as if people who are coming into the er for pain relief don't need help and i'm not qualified to say how we would evaluate like who needs what kind of help but no one's going in there just like f- because they like hanging out at the er that's not a thing yeah no especially in the u.s where wait times are so astronomical and it's so debilitating for a lot of people just to be there like I'm always baffled when people are like oh why are you here I'm like I'm in severe pain like I didn't just come here for kicks 
Yeah. And it's expensive. I mean, I know like when you have good health insurance, then maybe, but you have to get good health insurance. Like it's, it's not convenient anyway. <laughs> no, not by any means. Yeah. I am blessed to have Mass Health Care Plus. They pay for everything. Mm-hmm. That's why I always tell people, they're like, oh, why do you live in Massachusetts? Cost of living is so high. I'm like, because we have free health care mm-hmm. and it's actually all inclusive. Mm-hmm. There's no one who's going to say like, um, I'm getting a brain scan tomorrow. I'm getting my first ever MRI. And it was approved within 48 hours. That is quick. There was no wait. Yep. Yeah. Well, they, Michelle Martin, my neurologist called them and said, look, she's got a long history of this. She's never been scanned. We're really nervous. She's been, I've having, I've had um, increasing issues with motor control and uh, short-term memory loss in October. And they're like, she's really freaking out. She's really nervous. We just want to be able to eliminate, make sure there's nothing wrong with her brain. Cause we don't know. Jury's out. I'm pretty sure like all my other tests, it'll come back perfectly normal and we won't know what's wrong with me, but they want to eliminate it. So they're going to do it. And it's because I'm on Mass Healthcare Plus that it gets pushed. So you're going to get an MRI soon, but what mm-hmm. tests have they done in the last, it sounds like the last year has been when you've been amping up your treatment and investigation. Yeah. So I know it didn't tell I've, you anything, but what have you ruled out? Okay. I've been back and forth with my neurologist. We've been mostly just raising the doses of nortriptyline. They liked it because in the beginning, when I was on the 10 milligram dosage, I wasn't having a whole lot of nasty side effects, which is tricky for chronic migraine meds because like you said, there aren't really a lot of meds designed to treat chronic migraines. So when you're, you're basically throwing the spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. And the problem with doing that is you're giving people meds that their bodies aren't designed for, and you're giving them meds to treat things that they weren't necessarily designed to treat. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people can get real bad side effects. So when they put me on the nortriptyline and I didn't immediately have suicidal thoughts, they didn't immediately have a lot of the nasty side effects associated with nortriptyline. They said, okay, well, let's keep trying this. And the problem also with um, taking nortriptyline is it's a, at the type of antidepressant that it is, is it takes so long to see results. Mm. So you need to be on it for a minimum of two months. They prefer three. Okay. So in the last nine months, we've increased my dosage three times. Okay. So that's basically what we've been doing with a lot of check-ins with my neurologist to check on, um, my weight, because I keep putting on weight and stupidly fast, which is then, which is sadly the one, the real bad side effect of nortriptyline is the weight gain, mm-hmm. which seems small, but the problem is I'm putting it on so quickly, my joints hurt. Mm. It's like faster than is normally natural. Like natural, normally, like when I'm in a bad place, I'll put it like put on maybe like five pounds a month, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm putting on like 10 pounds a month. Mm-hmm. So like I get up and my joints would hurt, my knees and my ankles and things that like have never hurt before in my life. I'm a very mm-hmm. active person, never had these problems. My body's just like, please, can you stop? Right. This is starting to hurt. So yeah, so it's mostly been upping the dose of my preventative and trying to see if we can get it to do more work. Because I started with, I was having about 20 migraines a month, which is bad. Yeah. But the migraines were not as severe. Mm. So they were like, on a scale of one to 10, the average was around a five. It would hurt and it would suck, but I could work through it. And then I would have two or three a month that I would call a day ender, which is just, I'm on my butt. I can't do anything. Yeah. So then as we up the nortriptyline to 25, I would only have 10 migraines a month, but the severity was worse. Hmm. So even though there was less of them, now all of them were day enders. Mm. So then I was taking Nord the abortive, which I'm always supposed to take when I have a very bad migraine every single time. Right. And then the longer I was on the 25 mil, the more migraines I was getting with increased severity. 
So then I was back up to having about 18 migraines a month, all of which would knock me end overhead. Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time on my couch or in my bed, just in pain, not knowing what to do about it. Yeah. So in October, I asked if we could switch to Topamax, which I didn't want to do because anti-seizure meds can have a lot of nasty side effects. I've heard a lot of bad things and I was really nervous about it. So I said, told my doctor, I'm like, I'm still not seeing results on this. I still can't work. I'm thinking about applying for disability. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I think we should switch. And she said, let's try the norepinephrine one last time and we'll double the dose again. And if we're still not seeing results, then we'll switch you. Mm-hmm. And we should have never doubled that dose. Mm-hmm. I re- because I understand what she was trying to do, but that was, I don't remember most of October. Okay. And that's a weird thing for me to say. It's not in a way of like, you know, where most people are like, oh, what did I eat for breakfast? It's a, I genuinely can't recall what happened most of that month. Mm-hmm. Except that I had a mental breakdown by the end of it. It was bad, bad, bad. Yeah. I mean, it sounds extremely like unsettling to just understate it. Like it was terrifying. By yeah. the end of the month, I realized, like, I was trying to retrace my steps and was like, because I've been, I've had a book that I've been working on writing and it's almost done. And I had another publishing project I was working on. The only thing I can remember doing was my client project. I was like, at least I got my client and it's done. I looked back at my notes and I was like, I've done nothing else all month, really? And they kept being like, what do you mean it's that week? I thought it was this week. And it kept, everything kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And the pain was worse and worse and worse. It was just, it was awful. Mm-hmm. I was at the end of it I was just petrified and I broke down crying had a talk to my housemate and she was just like you need to get off this like this is yeah she's like I don't know what these meds are doing to you but it's not good she's like this needs to stop mm-hmm. so I immediately called my doctor and I was like this is bad yeah we need to stop this right now and she was super good about it and we just immediately so the problem was so now I'm on too high of a dose <laughs> so then I spent the first two weeks of uh the first the so we by I called her by third week in November. Mm-hmm. So then I spent the last week of let me sorry the third week of October. October. So I spent the last week of October and the first week of November weaning off nortriptyline because now the problem is I'm on too high of a dose. Mm-hmm. So then I have to wean me off because they can't just chuck me off. Right. So then I took go back on the 25th for a week and then nut for a week and then go on the topamax. And I thought I'd be fine weaning it off because I've I've had like past episodes of depression when I was like a teenager and like bad parenting like bad childhood and like it's like standard like when I talk, told my doctors like I was depressed because of crappy things not right. because they're saying they're wrong with my brain just standard reactions to crappy situations she was sure. like okay that's fine so I thought I'd be fine and I was not fine and it was bad and that whole week I was just in both horrible migraine attacks and just horribly depressed and crying it was just a wreck I I, I expected it to not be good and it was so much worse than anything could have prepared me for. And I remember just getting through that week. I remember the first day I finally felt like myself again. I was just like, oh God, is this what it feels like to not feel like the world is like going to crush you? It's like, good Lord. Yeah. And I'm usually not that type of person. I'm very driven. I like, I run the quick box. I love my work. I like my company. I believe in what I do. It was so, it was, it was the most jarring thing to wake up and be like, oh, my like feel like my whole I felt like my whole emotional center was, was just like shifted back. I was like, I'm not angry and sad and like frustrated anymore. I was like, that was the meds because I just thought it was me yeah. getting frustrated with my illness, and it was, but so much of it apparently was the meds. I was like, oh, holy cow! It's just this, this is a jarring moment where 
you like I, I just thought that was just me the whole time and it was not just me and I know because yeah. I'd never been on antidepressants and I'd never been diagnosed with any kind of mental illness so I didn't know how much those meds could rewire your brain mm-hmm. yeah and it really like strikes me something that I think is true with medication but also kind of with chronic illness in general is how when something happens gradually with your body it can be really difficult to notice that it's even happening and oh yeah like flares can feel like this too i think um you know it's like you're in a little bit of pain and then you're in a little bit more pain and then you kind of you adjust to it and then if you wake up one day without it you're like holy shit what like what was i doing or cognitive function is the same like it can decline and decline and decline and then one day it's back and you're like oh i've been operating at like 40 percent or 20 percent and i didn't if you had asked me in the middle of it i would not have put it at that number i would have said like oh maybe 80 like no it doesn't work that way oh yeah and that's the same place i'm in now because i've been on i've been symptom free since last saturday now and i know it's not gonna last because it never does Mm -hmm. um the last time it was this good i had a two-week i called my two-week migraine vacation last summer and at the end of it i was in the er yeah this is what my brain does on a very rare occasion it lets me live symptom free for about a week maybe two weeks and then i'm in some of the worst pain of my entire life it's like all right this is this is what we do yeah thanks for saving that up for one day yep um, yeah, that's how it's been. Like I, I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I was doing, I, now I can do things and I can do things at a pace. And I was just like, oh man, please let this last in time for my interview. And I woke up today and I'm like, my brain's not stabbing me. Quick, <laughs> to the coffee. Yeah, <laughs> like, make let's the do most of So much is happening today. Um, but it's been so good. But yeah, so it's been a crazy, it's been a very jarring comparison to be able to look because I, 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 when I texted my friend about it and I couldn't describe it in words, I just said, I feel like I'm 25 again. Because mm-hmm. that's the last time I remember feeling this okay. And I know it's not going to last. Everyone's like, oh, it's the Topamax. I'm like, it's not the Topamax. I can guarantee you this is going to be end of the week, end of next week at best. And then I'm going to be back to whatever my brain thinks is mm-hmm. what it likes to do. And something like, there's a lot wrapped in there one i think it can be so frustrating to navigate when other people are so determined for there to be a happy ending that like Mm -hmm. that that's a form of gaslighting i think like it could be this med could make a difference it is true that like yeah things may stay much better indefinitely but like Mm -hmm. i so many people who have not been in the like chronic recurring space are so mm-hmm. like no no that's just your negativity speaking and it's like and you have to accept the fact that it won't i have a very dear friend of mine who battles um suicidal ideation on a fairly regular basis and the reason that she comes to me we've been friends for about eight years now and she always comes to me with it because i will walk her through it mm-hmm. but i will never tell her that oh you know one day you'll beat this one day you'll be happy because she might not right she might her brain might just be wired to make the sad crappy chemical forever and ever and that's just the way of it Mm -hmm. but she has good days where she gets to go to the barn and play with horses and hang out with friends and it's just like it's just the way of it so she always comes to me because she knows i'm not gonna ever tell her i don't i don't lie to her i don't butter it up i don't try to say oh well you know you just have to get through this one day and one day everything will be better because i know it's not right yeah and it's i think like 
the first the first go round, maybe like the first time that something gets to a really difficult breaking point and then kind of goes into remission that time it's comforting to be like maybe that was it maybe that was an isolated event but after like one round it's actually not comforting anymore really it's like it's gonna be much harder for me if i buy into the idea that it's over and it happens again compared to if i frame this as like like you said a migraine vacation like yeah it and that's not pessimism like it's a coping mechanism maybe but I think it's, yeah. you know, it's easier to be like, hey, this is happening and I'm going to really enjoy it and I'm going to expect that it's not going to last. And when it ends, I'm not going to bottom out as much because I like recognize that that's also just a part of my experience. It's still hard, yeah. but you're setting yourself up oh, yeah. yeah, by like being like, oh, I'm better every single time. At a certain point, it just doesn't, it doesn't help to think that way. Ugh. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's frustrating because, yeah, when I had that two-week vacation in the summer, it's like, oh, maybe you're better. Maybe it's just the meds. And I'm like, I don't feel that it is, but I try to treat it. Um, I, I, come from, I come from a family of farmers. My whole background is blue collar. So every time when I have a pain-free day or symptom-free day, I always say, I make hay. Mm-hmm. So I get up and I try to enjoy myself and relax, but also try to get things done because my migraines have gotten so bad. I don't let myself do a lot of things. I'm like, my roommate, I'm so happy that I live with a housemate who's also my migraine assistant. She takes care of me a lot. So I'm like, I'm going to do dishes today. I'm going to make a nice meal from things that don't come out of the freezer. Yep. <laughs> like be a semi-functioning adult. And I'm just like, I call it, I make, you make hay. Mm-hmm. So the weather's good, chop the hay. You just do the best you can with what you get. Yeah. yeah. And that way, when I'm knocked in my butt again, so I've done, in the past couple of days, I've done a ton of laundry, I've cleaned the house, I've really scrubbed everything down, done a ton of dishes. So now I'm like, when the migraine comes, not if, I will be okay. I will yeah. have clean laundry waiting for me. I will have clean dishes. I will be able to pull things out of the freezer. I have stuff that I've froze, cooked, frozen, and prepped and put aside so I can just thaw and go. Like, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the reality of living with it. Yeah. And I'm... And it sounds depressing, but I'm like, I'm just happy to have a couple of days where my head's not trying to kill me. Yeah. And I think it only... Like, it's it's weird. It's hard for... It's hard to... And it's hard to describe to other people, too, especially with migraines, because everyone says, oh, it's just a headache. And when I quit Target, that did not become more clear. Because when I first told them... Because no one knew when I worked there how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Because my department was very much isolated, like, which I loved, because I got to work and kind of do my own thing. Mm-hmm. So when I finally confronted my boss and said, I'm leaving, I have to quit. I've been in my two weeks and they said, oh, well, what's wrong? Um, someone said, you said this thing. And someone said, you snapped at this person. That's not like you. And I said, no, I've had, I've been getting migraines and they're really bad. And they're like, well, how often? I was like three a week. And they just, they couldn't believe that I was going to work every day with three a week. I'm like, well, I can't call out three times a week. You would fire me. Right. There's not an That's alternative not- here. Or this is the alternative. Yeah, no, there quitting. was no way around it. Yeah. I just said, no, I'm like, I have to quit. And they're like, oh, they're just headaches. I'm like, no, no, they're not. It's short-term memory and vertigo and everything else. It's just really hard when you're plano and you move things around. And like, it's so, it's, it's so frustrating because there's so much of a disconnect with people and migraines. I really wish there was more information out there and just more awareness of it. Mm-hmm. So people could understand, like, no, it's not just pain. It's nausea and vomiting and sensitivity to everything on the planet. It feels like all your senses are turned up 11. 
and light and sound and everything hurts. It's just these days I'm like make a shirt and it's just gonna be a big migraine information packet and I'll just wear it every day of a migraine. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm done answering questions <laughs> about this. Please refer to my shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Please refer to my chart for local migraine awareness tips. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's it. That's a good campaign. Um and so a kind of not linear question. Um but you know, you mentioned like mm-hmm. tracking a lot before you went back to the doctor, um, like looking for triggers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done any other kinds of experiments around like, what can I do with my diet or with my environment or with my whatever um, to try and alleviate what's going on? Even if they were failed experiments, I'll add. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, so one of the big ones I did was avoiding blue light. I figured out that was my first real, real trigger because when I, so I've moved a couple times because I tend to move around a lot. Um, when I started working at Target, I was also living in an old house in Grafton, which was built in the 50s. And for whatever diabolical reason, they decided to put fluorescent lighting in the whole dang house. That's awful. So it was just blue light everywhere I went. So I started using lamps for my entire living space, which worked out well because the house had an in-law apartment in the basement, which I basically lived in. Mm-hmm. So I had my own kitchen, my own living room. So I bought yellow light bulbs only that made no blue light, switched all my devices. There's a little bit on your phone. If you go into display settings, you can turn off blue light. It's on both, it's on iPhone and Android. It's really easy to find and it's on desktops. Mm-hmm. So I turned off all my blue light and saved up money. And now I have blue light glasses mm. because my blue light intolerance had gotten so bad. I couldn't watch TV with my roommates because I had one of those pretty decent sized TVs. I could watch one episode of something and then the migraine would kick in. Okay. I yeah. could, if I was, I could watch things on my laptop. Mm-hmm. It was easier to control the light settings. And it was just literally the smaller screen helped. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't gone to the movies in two years because I would walk out of everyone with a migraine. Mm. So I got my blue light blocking glasses about six months ago and we went to go see a movie together with my roommate. And I was fine. It was the first time in two years I'd gone to the movies and not been in agony. It's like, hallelujah, they work. Yeah, that's remarkable. So that was my first one. And then the second experiment I tried was quitting coffee. Because I've been told by a friend that if you can get off of coffee, it'll often reduce the rate of your migraines entirely. And that lasted about a week. But in that week, I'd had three migraines. You were like on top of having more trouble sleeping. Yeah. And this was before I had upped my nortriptyline dose. This was when I was still on the 10 mil. So I wasn't having insomnia yet from the meds, but I was having insomnia from not drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. Just like, no, no, my, I need to sleep if nothing else. So yeah, that didn't last terribly long. And I only drink one cup a day. Yeah. I didn't do too much dietary experimentation because a lot of the food triggers, because my doctor gave me this whole list when they first diagnosed me of like, look at all these things and make sure that these are your triggers. I don't qualify for most of them because most of those things I don't even do. Mm. There's a lot of them for me. I'm pescatarian, which means I only eat fish. And even mm. then, most of my diet's vegetarian. Um, a lot of them were like eggs and carbs and bread and a bunch of other, like I remember going down the list like none of these are applicable. Yeah. Even with the coffee, I only drink one cup of coffee a day. Right. Because when I was um, in my mid-20s, I was diagnosed with a skin condition called severe dermatitis, just caused by candida growing in your gut. So I went on a cleanse diet, and after that, I keep a very strict diet of eat these things, not eat these things. 
So when the doctor tried to tell me it was food related, I'm like, there's no way it's food related because my diet hasn't changed in about five years, but the migraines have increased in two. Yeah. So that's why I knew I'm like, it's got to be environmental or it's got to be just something like something in my brain has changed because mm-hmm. nothing in my diet has changed. Right. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So it's like, if it was my diet, it would have changed when I went on this diet five years ago. Like something would have been set off then, not now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think it's, I feel like everyone does some type of experimenting, but it doesn't always lead to anything interesting. It's just interesting to think about the paths that we go down sometimes. Yeah. And it's frustrating because doctors will push the food angle so much. I have a dear friend in publishing who did, um, who went totally vegan because her doctor said, you know, just quit eggs, quit all these things and your migraines will vanish. And it didn't happen. Right. But then she was vegan and it's really hard to come back from being vegan because you're, you, you train your body not to eat eggs. And it's so hard to come back from that. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. And then it's expensive because being vegan is expensive as hell. I'm like, I can't imagine like changing so much of your life just to treat this thing. And then it doesn't even work. Yeah. Which is like most of the online wellness industry, by the way, is like, here's Mm -hmm. a very intense protocol, which for sure, I've talked to people who have been helped by these things. And that's what complicates it, I think. But it's like, here's Mm -hmm. a very intense protocol and a lot of messaging saying that if you don't go 100% on this, then it's not going to help you. And so it's like this boom and bust cycle of trying so hard to fix your problem and like no data on who it will actually help or how much it will help you and that's frustrating yeah. it's so frustrating i've i don't i've always had such a huge problem with the dietary industry too because it varies for so many people mm-hmm. like i don't eat a lot of meat because it makes me sick and my body doesn't process it well and that's just me i'm mm-hmm. not here to be pita i don't care like yeah some people want to eat that's fine everyone's body's different but people eat what they need to eat mm-hmm. don't understand like, I don't, I'm not here to pull, I'm not the dietary police. Yeah. Your body is your body. You will put in it whatever you want. Yeah. And I think like very strongly, not that I think that this is going to happen, you know, in the next year, but I also feel <laughs> very strongly that for people with any kind of chronic condition that we need support to try dietary interventions. I think that dietary yes. interventions should be subsidized the way the medication mm-hmm. is subsidized, because if we're going to argue that it has a life changing effect for people, but it's expensive and it's time consuming, I think that people need support to try them. Like there's such a big kind of stereotype and in the medical industry kind of that are like, oh, patients say that they want to get better, but they're not willing to make these basic changes in their lives. And it's like, that's mm-hmm. not a basic change. It's not a basic change to no, cut out animal products or carbs. No, it's not. And it's so frustrating to me too when everyone says, oh, well, there's this big article that went around a couple months back that was saying, oh, the reason why Uh, people are so sick in the United States is because people don't go to the doctors for preventative care and it's their fault. They're just bad patients. They just don't go in until they're dying. I'm like, because we don't have the money because we don't can't afford healthcare. And even when you can't afford healthcare, everything is insanely expensive. Good friggin' Lord. My housemate is out eight grand because she'd go to the hospital for a severe leg infection. And I'm just glad she's alive. She could have lost the leg. And I'm just like, and talking to my friend in Russia, she's like, oh, yeah, no, in Russia, they wouldn't charge you for that. You could have died. I'm like, no. Yeah. You go, when you go to the hospital in Russia, they just, they don't charge you if it's life or death. They look at you and say, no, you don't have a choice of being here. You're not here for kicks. Just go. Yeah. Get help. I we just... will help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So many, so many problems with the healthcare industry in this country. Yeah. So, so many. Yeah. Agreed. 
Um, and it's tough because, and then she's now she's sick because her doctors screwed her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, these have these things have cascading effects on people. They're like capacity to afford, and that's financial, but it's also time, right? Like when you are working multiple jobs and just trying to get by because minimum wage is in a lot of states is not a livable wage. Like it is also time expensive. Oh yeah, you know, and that. All of these things. Oh, extremely. Yeah. Going to the doctor and also changing your diet. Like, it's not free. So oh, yeah. that matters. <sighs> um. Oh, yeah. Like, my, my housemate can't really do much about her diet because she works nights. So mm-hmm. it's like, we can only eat as healthy as she can bring to work and take with her and eat between her shifts and stuff. And it's like, there's only so much we can do at the end of the day. Yeah. And it is what it is. It's like... I don't eat as healthy as I used to anymore because I eat more processed food because there are many days where my cooking involves cracking open a can of soup or taking some frozen ravioli out of the freezer. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is what it is. It's that or not eating. Like that's the choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've, uh, I get a, I've been uh, trying to put together a couple blog posts for my blog. Now that I'm starting to feel a little better. I'm talking about, um, crying my, like what I call spoonie meals, things you can make. They don't involve a lot of effort that are at least somewhat healthy, at least not total garbage from frozen sections, so not like just frozen pizzas and things, mm-hmm. and like ways to sort of throw semi-healthy things in your diet. Because I want to, I've been trying to put together a list of ways to cook that don't involve sharp utensils, because it's such a problem when you have migraines, is mm. that you, you should not be handling anything sharp, because there's so, the risk of injury is so, so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's definitely one of my food. I don't again, I'm not a migraine person, but I do have nerve problems in my arms and that's mm-hmm. like I also have pots. So usually in the evening I don't like being upright anyway, but even if being upright feels okay, like my hands will get shaky, mm-hmm. shaky or my grip won't be working and like I am fortunate I have a spouse and he's usually at home and so like if he sees me being like, "Oh, I'm fine. I'm going to cut up some cheese." He's usually like, "Can you please put that knife down?" like I will cut that cheese. Yeah. This is not a safe situation. But but like when you don't have a choice, you're yeah. like, again, do I not eat? Which usually exacerbates symptoms because of course it yep. does. Oh yeah. When you when you have migraines, if you meal skip, you will get a migraine. Yeah. Which has been hilarious for me because I have ADHD and migraines. So I'll hyperfocus and then I'll meal skip. Then I'll get a migraine. I'm like, whoever thought to put both of these in this body. Yeah. Wow. They do not play well together. No. No, they don't. <laughs> um, Goodness gracious, they don't. <laughs> okay. But it's been... I'm, I'm grateful that I at least have a doctor who is willing to list me about it because I don't have an official ADHD diagnosis because I haven't been able to get to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I've gotten this diagnosis from a friend of mine who has ADD and has two daughters with ADD and ADHD. Mm-hmm. But that's... Uh, if I could say... If I could tell anyone one thing about being chronically ill and going to the doctor so it is do not trust your doctor yeah can't you have to question everything and it sucks and i don't like to have to tell people that because i i realize it's not like a conspiracy theory nut but i've just i've been through it i just watched my housemate go through it like we're at the point where i'm if we had the money i'd file for medical malpractice Mm -hmm. they put her on so much antibiotics she's got no immune system she's got no gut biome she's just she feels terrible all the time there's nothing we can do Right. Like we can't just rebuild her gut biome from scratch now. And I only know this because when my, when I was a teenager, my brother got diagnosed with Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. and 
Crohn's disease, I don't know how it is now, back then, this would have been 2006, was a pharmacist's wet dream because they gave him eight different medications. Eight. One of which was 12 pills a day. That's a lot. Just one. So it's, just imagine the bill from the farm. It's just, it's nuts. Yeah. Just the, just the, and half the, and then we found out two of the pills were making him throw up. Mm -hmm. And part of the, the biggest problem with Crohn's disease is that you're, you have ulcers in your intestines and they block the body's ability to take in nutrients. Mm -hmm. So he was 5'8 and weighed 116 pounds. Mm -hmm. 17 year old teenage boy. Yeah. Like this just, isn't working. Just sticking bones. Yeah. So Rob and I were like, no, this isn't going to work. And because it's me and it's my brother, we did our own research. And we're like, no, this isn't going to fly. So when we went back to the doctor, we said, no, we want Remicade. Yeah. And Remicade, which they're now phasing out, which I'm not happy about, was experimental and is experimental. And that's why they're phasing it, because no one wants to back it. And it's expensive. Mm -hmm. And no one's making money off of it. So God forbid we use it. Yeah. But it works without side effects. And now we're replacing it with Humira, which has tons of nasty side effects. <laughs> we just want to go outside and scream. Yeah. But yeah, and then so they put him on Remicade. It's a once every eight week treatment. And it was fully covered by our insurance and it worked. Mm -hmm. Until this day, he is still somehow magically He's stable on in Remicade. remission. Yeah. He's in total amazing. remission. He hasn't had an injection in six years. Mm -hmm. That's And he went from like near death. We mm -hmm. didn't know that. And also, and the doctors also failed to tell us that Crohn's could kill you. Yeah. We did find out from one of my mom's coworkers. They're like, oh, I'm so glad Rob's out of the hospital. I was really nervous. I lost my son from that six years ago. My mom was like, what? Because yeah. her coworker didn't know. You know, you'd think the doctor would tell you all these things. Yeah. Nope. 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 We're just like, oh, cool. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, there's a lot of so, yeah. good stuff. After going through that time. with my brother, I'm always telling people, like, get a second opinion. If something seems shady with your doctor, like, don't trust it. Mm -hmm. Don't. Yeah. And there's like, because there's, well, I was going to say there's two pieces to this. There are a lot of pieces to this. Because, like, mm -hmm. I think one fundamental problem, and this is the part where I do have sympathy for doctors, which is not universal, but I'm just going to start with it. Like, one yeah. underlying problem is just that. We don't see chronic illness represented in media at all. No. And we don't see it represented accurately, of course. And so one like fundamental underlying problem right now, because so many people are sick, is that people when people first get sick, they go to the doctor and they expect that that experience will be similar to what they see on TV. And so from the very beginning, there is like an unrealistic expectation about what diagnosis and treatment will look like. And I'm not at all saying that that's a patient's fault. But oh yeah, like it's you not start an episode there. of House, right? And you like <laughs> start with that faulty assumption that that's even possible when it's usually not. And so of course, of course, like patients are going to be dissatisfied to begin with, and then mm -hmm. you put in like just generally the legacy of hysteria, hysteria, and stereotypes about drug-seeking behavior, and then also put in the way that electronic health records change care and standards of care, and that yeah. most doctors can only spend 20 minutes with a patient, which makes no sense in the context of chronic illness. Like there are so yep. many layers to this that you don't mm -hmm. know about or have the energy to dig into when you first get sick and you're like, I can't function. So, ugh, it's a mess. Um, yeah. So I agree. 
Um, but one thing that I want to talk about that we haven't, that's kind of been underneath, because you were talking at the beginning about working, so how you've been working at Target, and then when you left Target, you started writing, and then writing became difficult. And so mm-hmm. you are working now, it sounds like, in some capacity. Yeah. So did you have time yeah. in between, or did you kind of segue from the writing to something different? I've always been the type to work. Like, before I got, before the migraines got really bad, I worked four to five jobs. So I've always done the writing and the editing. It just always took more of a backseat before. And now I just, it's become more of a focus. Mm -hmm. So before Target, I was working as an editor for about four years for Word Vagabond. And then Alexis and I had her sit down and then I took over and now it's QuickBox. Because I wanted to, I sat sat her down because she'd been running Word Vagabond for almost a decade back from when self-pub was very small, when self-publishing was still not really recognized as being a professional industry. Mm-hmm. And now it's become so over flooded that I told her, it's like, we need to niche. So that's when we, I decided it's like, well, we're both LGBT and we're both neurodiverse. I was like, so let's create an editing service provider that specifically focuses on those things mm-hmm. so that we can champion those projects. Yeah. And we can give those projects a good voice and a safe home. Because we also thought, think that's extremely important right now, given our current horrendous political environment. Because we don't want people getting taken advantage of, and we don't want people, we don't want writers who are LGBT or neurodiverse or chronically ill going to people who aren't going to understand their projects or aren't going to treat them with respect. Mm-hmm. So I've always been doing all those other things. It's just always been, I would take, so I would only do like an editing job like once every there once every couple of months and then when i quit target i thought that i could hang on doing this more to 30 40 hours a week and now it's more like i just can only do it for 10 to 20. it's fine and i can kind of do my work as it is but it's like i'm gonna have to apply for disability to pay the rest of the bills because i do live in massachusetts and cost of living is insanely high here like it's it's just what it is so yeah I'm, i'm still working I've kind of always been working. I'll probably always be working. Writing is something I've always been doing. I probably, I think I've been writing since I was nine. And the book I'm working on now will be my fifth finished book once it's done. And I've always been, so it's just been, it's just hard. Like I've, I've always put more of my focus on QuickFox and WordFag on my editing than my own work because those are my clients and those are people like they have marketing plans, they have publishing schedules. My writing is, I write it and the writing is itself difficult even though it's easy i always tell people writing the book is the easiest part selling it is hard when you're chronically ill everything is hard (laughs) everything is slow and everything is being chronically ill feels very much like walking through molasses and publishing is very sisyphean you're pushing the boulder up the hill constantly and constantly so you're doing it with chronic illness (laughs) it's like that grandpa saying I, I walk up the hill both ways in the snow. <laughs> you wouldn't know. So it's tough. It's, uh, I always try to tell myself that it's, it's not like that. It's like the scene from Marvel. I do everything they do, just slower. <laughs> so it's, it's been, but it's been good. The writing's been very rewarding. I'm working on my own voices novel right now and it's almost done. I hit 69K last night at a 90 because it's a YA novel. So YA is normally around the 90,000 word range. So I'm hoping I'll have that done by by end of fall, and then I will revise it over winter, and then hopefully get to querying it next year. 
And I'm hoping that'll be the book I land an agent and start to publish, which would be really cool. I've queried other projects in the past. It's just, as you, some things are easier to sell and some things are harder. And it's not always to do with the writing. I'll try and take it too much into it because like, this is not a publishing podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, long story short, selling a book is not always about the quality of the writing. It's also about the marketability and what is marketable right now. And one of the problems with writing while chronically ill is you have to write fast and you can't always write fast. So my turnaround time for projects in the past used to be, it would take me about four years to finish a book. If I can finish this by next month, it'll have taken me about five months, which is really good. That's mm -hmm. my, that'll be my fastest turnaround time yet. So I'm hoping I can just get it done in time to hit this market while it's still booming and get it out there. Cause I have other projects and they're really good, but I have to wait for that market to open up again because by the time I, I finished it, and by the time I revised it and by the time I saw it good enough to publish that market had already passed and you just have to wait for it to open up again. You can try to query. It's going to be a lot harder than waiting for that market to come around again. Oh my God. I'm back again. <laughs> so I could hear you, but I could tell that I was frozen and I was like, I'm just going to okay. keep listening until this winds down and then I will close out the call again. <laughs> I again have really not had this problem with Google before. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> Great. <laughs> All of that was great. Um, is there anything that we have not talked about, about chronic illness and everything related that is on your mind that you want to make sure we cover? Um, I guess just the fact that there's something I, I tweeted about recently and I keep coming back to it. And it's the fact that um, chronic illness is invisible. And it's also invisible to the people that have it. Mm -hmm. So I was talking recently to my grandmother on the phone and catching her up on all my medical stuff because we don't get to talk too much often. And I was telling her about how I was thinking about applying for disability. And I keep going back and forth on it because to me, I don't feel that I need disability because, you know, it's just pain. I'm not dying. I should be fine. I should be able to work. And sometimes I am fine. Yep. For yeah. maybe a week. Mm -hmm. And that's totally enough to do a job, right? It's not. It's not enough to work a full-time job. Right. So, and she just straight out said to me, she said, honey, apply. Because I know people who need it less than you. Mm -hmm. And she is in her 70s and just buried my grandfather two weeks ago. So she's like, it was like, so this like big pause moment where I was like, my grandmother just pulled a Golden Girls Dorothy and called me out and has just told me that I am more incapable, like I am I am more disabled than people in the elderly community. Just, yeah. It's a very jarring moment of, okay. It's like you said, when it's gradual, you don't, you don't notice it. Yeah. And it just becomes so much rigmarole part of your life. Like, yeah, every day is pain and every day is, it is what it is and you deal with it. And that's just the way of it. So Part of it for me was invisible illness. It's invisible to everyone, including the people who have it. When mm -hmm. I look in the mirror, I don't see someone who's chronically ill. I don't see someone who's disabled. I just see someone who should be working four to five jobs, who should be doing this and this and this and this and just can't do it. Yep. And it's gotten better, like in the last, like, because I've gotten so sick in the last four months, especially, I've gotten better at like forgiving myself and be like, this is all you can do and that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
but then and I, so I always think that I'm accepting this and I think that I've gotten it like, okay, yep. I accept me. And then I turn around, and I go, no, <laughs> I don't want to be a disability. I'm not disabled. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. I super relate to that. And I feel like I see like versions of that all the time. And it's like this specific kind of denial of like, yeah, I do experience pain every day, but I'm not in chronic pain or like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't leave my house most days, but I'm not housebound. Like, and it's not about other people. It's about like our perceptions of what I think it's even just being able to imagine that it can always be worse. And so always yes. comparing yourself to that worse and being like, well, I'm not that bad. So it must not be bad. Exactly. Yeah. And for me, it's a combination of that and feeling like, you don't want to step your toe in a community you don't feel like you're entitled to belong in Mm -hmm. so like i'm always afraid to call myself disabled because i'm not on disability yet and i'm always afraid someone's gonna be like well you're not disabled you're not xyz things i go well you're you're right and i don't know if that's because i don't know if that's carryover from um being like every all the communities online are so much more open now or if that's carryover from being part of the lgbt community because i'm a spec in gender queer and A-spec specifically is the community of the LGBT community that's been told forever and ever and ever that you're not part of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's personal for me or if that's also common for other people with chronic illness. I can't say one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. But and it I definitely, that's it hard. definitely feels that way. Yeah. I think, like, obviously I can't speak to how your experience would inform that, but like, I definitely, one, I feel that way. And two, like, I feel like I've definitely heard that from other people of like, And one of the things with chronic illness is that because it's not linear, it can be really difficult to be like, well, some people who are disabled are disabled all the time. And like, I'm not disabled all the time. I'm only disabled sometimes. So is it disingenuous or dramatic or misrepresentative for me to identify as disabled? Like Mm -hmm. those kind of questions get get in there because because some days it doesn't interfere with my life. Most days it does, but occasionally it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And as long as that specter is there, it's like, it's like, well, I'm lying because some days I'm fine. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's, for me, it's also the flip side of if you talk about this too much, because I work as a freelance editor, I'm a member of the EFA. If you talk about this too much, will you stop getting work? Mm-hmm. Will people not trust you? And it's like, I meet my deadlines. And it's like, I, I plan my pl- my editing schedule around my pain. Mm-hmm. So I that my lead times might be a little more than other people. My prices are a little bit lower. Like I, I scale myself and I know what I'm doing. But I, I never, I always in the back of my mind, and I always want to be open and talk about this still, though, because I don't want to be in the closet about my chronic illness. And I also don't feel like I can anymore because it's gotten so bad that I can't act anymore, as I used to call it. Like, I can't put on a show. I had to stop going to, I because I work in publishing, and I used to go to a lot of publishing conventions in the Northeast. I can't do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have to have a really hard talk by the end of this week where I have to decide. There's a convention, uh, Conbust, which I always recommend everyone goes to for publishing. It's fantastic. It's very, very queer. It's in uh, Amherst in Massachusetts. It's fantastic. My favorite convention of all time. I don't know if I can go this year. Mm-hmm. And it is really hitting hard. And it's one of those moments where like, I don't think I can physically do it. And it's one of those moments where like, well, how much, how much are you going to lose? And then it's the flip to that is like, well, now you can't pretend you can't sit around and say you're fine and cancel all these events. Like someone's going to put two and two together. So I want to be open about it. Be honest. Like I'm sick. Right. It is what it is. I'm chronic ill. I have chronic migraines. I have chronic pain. It sucks. And it is what it is, but it's my life. Mm-hmm. 
But I also don't want to go around and say and have the flip side of that be like, oh, well, I'm not going to trust his name with my editing project. You, like, you don't want to lose business. Right. So I, I'm trying to, I want to be able to, I I would love for there to be a platform somewhere. We could also talk about how disabled people can work. Right. We can't work full time. We still deserve to be on disability, but it doesn't mean we sit around our houses doing nothing. Right. Right. And it's such a spectrum for lots of reasons, right? Like lots of disabled people work full time. Lots of disabled people don't qualify for disability or aren't on disability. Lots of, like, yeah. it's like such a big yeah. umbrella. Some disabled people, you're only qualified just to get like, um, uh, medical items to help you with your care and things like that. You might not qualify for assistance from the government, but you do qualify for certain levels of care, like a walking aid or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's like, it's frustrating. It's like, I don't, the, there's always a, the, 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 you're always worried about the other side of that coin going, well, if you say this, someone's going to construe this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like worried about retaliation. And that's, I mean, that's a strong word in this case, but like worried about creating bias basically like biasing yeah. someone against yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. real. That's... But then I also, yeah. But it's also like, I don't know. I also don't want to hide it because I know there's a lot of writers out there who struggle with chronic illness. And I, if they're writing a character with chronic illness, I want them to know that there's an editing platform somewhere mm-hmm. that is catered to your needs and will respect your work. Because mm-hmm. with Quick Fox, we're the only one, we're the only um, self, we're the only uh, freelance editing house that is LGBT, mm-hmm. which was so weird. I, I looked this up when um, we had our big, um, Alexis and I had a big company meeting at the end of 2018. So I, I thought I thought about this. I'm like, is there, like, I just figured there has to be, you know, someone has to be doing this already. And there wasn't, there's no one. How, how is this happening? So if Alexis, I'm like, no, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, so it's like, the, at the end of the day, I just always tell myself, I'm like, you have to be forward and honest because somewhere out there, there's some writer who's working on this project and they're looking for an editor and they're possibly looking for you. Mm-hmm. And what if they don't come to you because they don't know these things Yeah, and they don't know that they can trust you with this work. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's because so much of, so much of publishing specifically freelance publishing is a relationship built on trust. Mm-hmm. And with the quick Fox, with that company, I run it on a platform of personability and accountability. So everything you know about us like it, we're not just some big firm because there's a lot of them like scribendi is one of them where it's just this big i was saying it's like a barn there's these big editing companies now where you can go and just upload your manuscript and someone you don't know who you never know them you don't know what their qualifications are will edit your book for pennies on the dollar with a very short turnaround time mm-hmm. which always concerns me because i'm looking at this going there's no way that's going to be edited well you yeah. don't know the quality of the person you don't know anything i think this is one of the things that really does interest me about like the internet connecting people who have chronic illness and being able to like try to partner with each other because yes there is external bias like you're saying but there's also a lot of places where like having a partnership whether it is like writing or editing but there's other lines of work where this works like having someone who also understands say if your relationship to deadlines is difficult or your relationship to answering emails promptly or whatever it is to be like it is so much easier to work with somebody who understands that and so being open about it can create that opportunity which is cool if also difficult in its own way yeah no, yeah. it's a big part of it. And I think another, again, a big part of it from working for someone like me who works from home for you full time is that 
I get my emails to my phone. If you email me at nine o'clock with a quick question, it's an emergency. I can shoot you an email back. You know, I don't keep nine to five office hours. You need me for something for an emergency. I can be there. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do that for my clients because especially with self-publishing, I understand things can go wrong in a heartbeat. You can upload a draft on Amazon and it's just like, oh my God, what went wrong? And I'm like, well, I'm also a self-published author. So shoot me an email. Guaranteed. I probably know what the issue is. Yeah. Yeah. Troubleshooting gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that we have covered all of the things, despite Google Hangouts conspiring <laughs> against us having a real-time conversation. Huzzah! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking all of the time to talk to me, and I'm so glad that I caught you on a pretty good brain day. That makes life so much easier, I know. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to episode 60 of No End in Sight. You can find Suzanne on Twitter at Sulana and Instagram at an andro named Sue. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BennisB. And of course, you can find the show on Instagram at node.end.in.site.pod. Plus, don't forget to check out the new No End in Sight collection on Medium, where you'll find stories and essays about life with chronic illness. The Medium Collection also took a short hiatus while I was sick earlier this month, but I've got a lot of great stories in that queue, too, that should be coming out soon. So you can find them at medium.com slash no-end-in-site. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I've got dozens of very simple icons that you can customize as much as you want, and I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.